Thanks for listening to the Secular Hubcast, a podcast made possible through a grant from the American Humanist Association. This show is a project of the Secular Hub, a Denver nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting community, altruism, reason, and education across the diverse secular community of the Front Range region. For more information and to become a member, visit secularhub.org. Thank you for tuning into the Secular Hubcast. I am Jesse Gilbertson. And I am Chauncey. Chauncey, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Jesse. Well, I'm glad you're with us tonight. Uh, and I am glad you're with us as well. All right. How is How are things going in your life, Chauncey? Things are a little bit exhausting, kind of tired. Yeah. But I did uh, get away for a little bit a couple of weeks ago, so... Yeah, how was that? Too bad. It was good. Just kind of went for a drive. Just started driving west. Oh, yeah? Figured I'd get into some shit. How how far did you make it? Do you mind sharing? I made it to Grand Junction. Grand Junction. Colorado National Monument. Okay. Yeah. Great. And that was just a spontaneous GTFO? Somewhat, yeah. So I, I knew I wanted to visit a friend who was out there, but that was pretty much my only, kind of the only part of the plan. I didn't know where I was going to stay. I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. Didn't really know where I was going to go from there or how long it would take me to get there. Okay. Well, I applaud you for taking these steps. That sounds like a good time. Did you have a good time? I did have a good time. Okay. I went to the Mike the Headless Chicken Festival. Okay. Tell me Tell me more. So there's a, a town, I think, just sort of northwest of Grand Junction called Fruta. And apparently they've got this festival for a chicken that at some point in the past had its head rung. But its sort of headless body continued to run around for 16 months, according to legend. All right. Was he called Mike before or after? That is a fantastic question. I don't know. I don't know if they named him posthumously or if that was always his name. (laughs) Or just sort of zombie headless chicken running around. What what sort of activities do they do at Mike the Headless Chicken Day? Did you do anything like bobbing for chicken heads or anything like that? You know, I wish. It was a pretty small kind of town fair, and so they had a bunch of vendors out there, but I didn't really see much else that was like a big draw or attraction to the festival. Okay, okay. Well, they need... Which is no disrespect intended to them like that, the chicken festival. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds it sounds charming. Maybe they should punch it up a little bit, but maybe they just like to do it their own way out in Fruta. And I've never, I've never been. So, thank you for visiting and giving us a report. Certainly, and uh, uh, I'm really glad to hear. I've been, I myself have been a little worn out. I've been away in the mountains, in the woods for a while. What have you been doing in the woods? I went to a regional arts and music festival called Apogea, okay. and I volunteered there. So I was on site for approximately ten days. Holy moly! It was pretty fun. Yeah. I, had, I had a good time. I managed to avoid sunburn. Because I'm pretty careful about that. That's pretty good. But I I did not manage to avoid getting my tent inundated because we had some pretty significant rain and hailstorms. And I was not exactly prepared to to weather the ferocious weather. But I was able to get by with a little help from my friends. Nice. So so it worked out pretty good. What did you take away from the experience? It's a little early to say, actually. I'm still kind of processing it. It was... It was uh, it was pretty deep. I met a lot of friends. It, the, there was about fourteen hundred people there total, and uh, I did 
I didn't get the chance to meet every one of them, but I met as many of them as I could, and it was a good time. And it's I love getting away from the city. Okay. Uh, I've lived in Denver since 1992, and the longer I'm here, the more I'm kind of like, hey, let's go see the world. So I've yeah. been traveling a lot. I've been really lucky and fortunate that way. So okay. hopefully I'll be able to do more in the not-too-distant future. But we're back now. And uh, we're, we're sitting here in the studio. I want to give a big fat thanks to Paul last week. He did a solo episode, which is huge. It I'm, was good, too. I've never done a solo. Yeah. No one's a, it's a, a podcast first for the Secular Hubcast. Nice. So, uh, cheers to Paul for pull, pulling it out, for whipping that one out. I, I learned some good stuff from the episode. And then I think at the end, he recommended if people had any thoughts to email him. So I emailed him. I was like, hey, I got some thoughts on this thing. <laughs> Thank you for taking that step. That's awesome. Did he respond yet? He did, yeah. He, <laughs> he liked my idea. Okay, well, uh, Paul Paul can be pretty prompt when he wants to be, so that's yeah. nice. That's nice. All right, Chauncey. Well, actually, that's one of the fun things about hanging out with you in the studio, Chauncey, is it's a lot like hanging out at the Hub. <laughs> and it's a social place. It's a community place. And a lot of times there are conversations that where people get into it and the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. It's like an episode of Seinfeld. It's like about nothing. You know what I mean? But it's like the adventure is part of it. Um, And there are often themes that kind of show up in a recurring fashion. You'll hear the same story, but from different people. And you kind of like with any group, you, you you practice your best stories mm-hmm. and you keep them going. Like you told me that catfish story story earlier. Yeah, you, like that's a special one. You got to whip that one out at special occasions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I wanted to discuss something that's a a personal interest of mine, which is how people came to identify as atheists or how they were how they traveled on that journey. So it just occurred to me that I think the first time we met might have been at a tell your story event that Ruth hosted at the hub. So it was kind of like we were talking about basically the same sort of stuff that we're going to be talking about tonight. Might be, might be actually, I met you at the last secular conference because we're doing secular CSC 19 in in July. Uh I met you at the last one, but you were, you were like on the door Okay. and I came in the last day, like a couple of hours before close. Yeah. And you were like, just come on in. You don't have to pay me anything. And so I came in. <laughs> well, thank you for hooking me up. I remember you. Um, nice. And uh, uh, I I remember like Tom mm-hmm. and there's a few people I met. I met Seth Andrews. That was pretty cool. Okay. He was one of the, uh, one, he was one of the people that attracted me there because I used to listen to his podcast a lot. It was, uh, I shouldn't say I used to. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Seth Andrews, his amazing Thinking Atheist podcast. As everybody knows, you should definitely check it out. His voice is like chocolate. His voice is amazing. So, um, yeah, with the Tell Your Story Night thing that Ruth put on was really cool. Yeah. That was that was definitely my first, because uh, the secular, oops, because my first approach to the secular conference was, mm-hmm. it was just like in and out just to check it. Yeah. Like jumping in the pool to see what the temperature's like. Uh, uh, going to the hub for tell your story night was my first real introduction to the community. So I don't remember everybody who was there, but I remember mm-hmm. I had a great time and I met a lot of people and it was pretty cathartic to be in a group and just to stand up and say, this is who I am. Yeah. And this is what, this is what happened. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to do a little bit tonight. You and I. All right. 
let's do this thing. In my previous religious phase, when I was a younger person, when I practiced religion, I always enjoyed telling people how I got into the faith. And it was an easy way to make a connection with another person. Because regardless of whether you were born into that faith, whether you came to it as a child or later in life, there was some there was some way that brought you into it. And atheism is very similar. I enjoy hearing about those processes that people go through when they're going through change in life. Uh, or for people who were born that way, who just stayed that way and didn't change or changed but managed to contain it within the within the the faith i know it's not for everybody some people like complain about it and run <laughs> when these stories start going around yeah I, which i also find interesting it's like i don't want to hear about it because for some people they've just heard it too many times but for me i like the endless because of the variation every person's path is different where they started out is different and how they got to where they're going it fascinates me so mm-hmm. do you want to go first or do you want to ask me I'll go first. Yeah. All right. Tell me, Chauncey. Were you always an atheist or did, were you raised as a thing? Did you dabble? Tell me about yourself. I was not always an atheist. Hmm. I grew up in a household where both of my parents were religious. My sibling was religious, but we did not go to church on a regular basis. And so religion for me was something that I took for granted, I'd say, for most of the early part of my life. Okay. Do you mind sharing what denomination? Baptists. Baptists. Yeah. And where in the country? Because Baptists are different all over the place. Yeah, that's fair. So I don't know if my parents are particularly like Southern Baptist or some other type of Baptist. I was... I grew up in a military family, so we moved around quite a bit. So my earliest memories are on the West Coast, uh, but my parents are from the the South. My family's from the South. So I think, again, I just sort of took religion for granted as just the thing that, you know, we were. I don't know that I questioned it deeply for a good part of my childhood. I got a little bit more heavily involved than um, I might have otherwise during kind of the middle school years of my life where I had some very religious friends who kind of brought me into their community. And then by the time I became about 12, I would say that I had a pretty deep interest in religion and ethics. But I also, for the first time, was learning about some of the alternatives to what I was surrounded with. And so it was actually while I was kind of grounded to my room for some offense that I no longer remember that I was reading through the encyclopedia because that's all I had available. (laughs) It's like extra punishment. You have to learn. Yeah. Okay. And so the religion section was an interesting section to me because I was interested in those sorts of things, but it also exposed me to the term agnostic. And so in reading the description for what it meant to be an agnostic, it just kind of made more sense to me and was more honest. It was me being more honest with myself than I think I'd been before. So just sort of acknowledging my lack of knowledge was maybe something that I hadn't really considered as a position before. But at that point, 
it, it spoke to me. And so I started identifying kind of personally as an agnostic when I was about 12 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't recall how old I was when I heard that term agnostic, but that sounds great. Uh, and uh, when that seed was planted, did you ever go back or was, has it been a straight shot ever since? It's been pretty much a straight shot ever since. I didn't really. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sounds like your parents plan really backfired. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know that they were, uh, I don't know that they had like a religious agenda for me. They, you know, grew up in their own faith and it was, and is personally important to them. But I think throughout my life, they've been pretty open to me exploring things on my own okay. and they haven't been resistant to that openness. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it wasn't for a number of years that I, until I told my parents that I wasn't religious and it was a very brief conversation. Okay. <laughs> like how how old are we talking? About like, 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. So still when you're under their roof. Right. Got yeah. it. And uh, so I wouldn't say it went poorly, uh, but I also wouldn't say it went well. It just kind of happened. And uh, I imagine they thought it was a phase, <laughs> okay. but it was not. Uh, and then uh, we didn't talk about it again for a couple more years when I was about 17. Okay. So I did not immediately identify as an atheist. I you know, started off as an agnostic. And I think the A word to me, I in fact know the A word to me had a connotation that I did not like and wasn't willing to embrace. Okay. Can you describe what that connotation was? Yeah. So for me, it seemed to represent someone who had absolute certainty that there was no God. And that to me seemed as disingenuous a position or as um, naive, perhaps a position as 100% confidence that there was a God that one could not prove existed. All right. Fair enough. And so... So agnostic, you you went through the agnostic phase. I went through the agnostic which phase. Yeah. For If you are agnostic, and you're, you can hear the sound of my voice, I'm not trying to talk down. It, it is a phase that some people go through, and some people are agnostic their whole life. And I respect sure. both positions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do you identify as atheist now? So when I'm kind of forced to label myself or when I'm asked to label myself, it actually kind of depends on the context in which I'm asked. In some contexts, I'll identify myself just as an atheist. And in some, I'll identify myself as an agnostic atheist. Okay. I started picking up the label atheists when I was probably in my late 20s. I had moved to Phoenix um, at this point. Um Prior, I'd lived in Houston for seven years, and somehow my friend group ended up being almost all atheists and agnostics. Okay. And so when I moved to Phoenix, I was just like, you know, if this is kind of where I'm going to end up, I might as well just go ahead and start there and, <laughs> right. you know, cut to the punch. So I found the Phoenix Atheist Meetup group down there. Great, great group of folks. And through just the conversations that I had with them, I started to adjust my definition for what an atheist was from the sort of colloquial understanding I had of of it to the definition that's sort of more consistent with, I think, what's in the dictionary and what you might find in a philosophy book. And so I started defining atheist at that point as one who lacks a belief in a god or gods, as opposed to one who is certain that a god or gods don't exist. Well, wonderfully, wonderfully stated. 
And that is a very important distinction that I think every atheist knows. But some people outside of atheism probably don't. And there are those who purposefully conflate the two to yeah. obfuscate. So thank you for taking the moment to clarify. Sure. For me, I, I, I definitely identify as atheist as often as I can. I find that it communicates more clearly. Saying you're agnostic is... I, I will identify myself as agnostic if somebody is really parsing the language. Mm-hmm. Like if I say atheist and they have an understanding that you sort of described of someone who's certain there's no God, well, then I always say, I'm willing to change my mind. I just don't think there's any reason to believe in a God. Mm-hmm. And it just seems more naturally natural for me to not believe in God. And so therefore I'm an atheist. Yeah. But I will define as an agnostic too. I just almost never do. I find just that aspect somewhat interesting. Like even when I first sort of adopted that under my understanding of the term, I was really hesitant to use it as a label for myself because I knew that colloquially most people didn't well, see it that way. Uh, so on that point, Jesse, when did you start identifying as an atheist or an agnostic? And what was your path to that? Sure. It was... I- I came to identify as an atheist when I was a teenager, about 14 or 15, but I didn't say it openly at all. Um, As a very small child, my parents took me to a Unitarian church in Oklahoma City, and it was very nice. I played a lot. They had a really nice playground with these huge trees, which is very important in Oklahoma because it's very sunny and hot. Um. And that was pretty much it. It was just like playtime. You know, Easter egg hunts were like my favorite because I'm pretty fast and I like to get into stuff. And and uh, we played Hot Wheels. I mean, it was just playing. And I think I pretty much like just slept through the services or whatever. Like the kids get pardoned for the most part at the Unitarian Church. And so it was basically just the way you socialize an animal or kitten or something. You have to put them with others of, of their type, their peers, so that they can develop together. Um, and that never prepared me in any way for what happened when I was 10. And I went to live with my grandparents for a year up in Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, it was, it was a beautiful place. It was like in a, it was a farm, 160 acres down a gravel road and it was green and beautiful. And I had a great time there. It was a really good time for me to, to run and to play in the woods and to, uh, my grandpa had a 22. I got to learn how to shoot the 22 and. I learned how to garden and I drove a tractor and I did all this stuff that like 10 year old boys are supposed to do. It was really, it was a fantastic time. My grandfather passed away a few years ago, but my grandma's still alive. When I live with them, obviously my grandpa was still alive and uh, they're both very firm. This was like 1990 approximately. And they were both still very strong and very much their their own people like the, the people that they were and my grandpa was a very devout believer like to him god was like present at all times jesus was like right around you at all times it was he just permeated everything and like almost every conversation like we could be out another sort of manly thing my grandpa taught me was how to run a chainsaw which is a really useful skill in certain contexts and, you know, we'd be running a chainsaw and then he'd talk about like, 
how the trees came from God, <laughs> you know, and that it was provided a wondrous bounty and that kind of stuff. And it would always go back to the Bible. Very, very devout. My grandma was the same. She, she's, she taught me like, I learned how to bake bread from her. I learned she, she had the most amazing flower garden I've ever seen. It was, I don't know how big it was, but it had all these railroad ties around it. It was like the center of the yard. And some of the flowers that she grew were much taller than me. Hmm. And she had a really wicked vegetable patch in the back too, uh, that we would eat out of. We ate all this f- fresh food and vegetables and everything. It was like, it was it, idyllic in some ways, but they went to church three times a week and I was their grandson. I was living with them on the farm. So I did not have a choice <laughs> in the matter whatsoever. And they attended Assemblies of God Church, which is, they're pretty powerful. They're like potent in their belief. And they do like speaking in tongues and they do like really like, they're really demonstrative in these acts of faith. They they show faith through movement and body. And like one thing that weirded me out is like somebody would start speaking in the holy voice, you know, the voice, the voice, the, the Holy Ghost would start to come through their body and speak in the heavenly tongue. And then like a little bit later, like throughout the worship, people would be like jumping up and down and hollering and stuff. And then somebody else would like get the magical translation and they'd be like, and this and lo and behold and yay verily and all that kind of stuff. And I always wondered like, did they set that up beforehand? Like I didn't believe at the time, like as a 10 year old kid, I didn't believe, but it was freaky. And when you're like the youngest person in the room, because it was definitely an older crowd, there weren't a lot of kids. It definitely freaked me out. Like my grandpa he served in the Marines in World War II. He was like, lived on a farm his whole life. He was a tough guy. And he would like weep and he would like get on his knees and like kind of crawl around in front of the altar. And it like freaked me out. Like I, I hated it. Like, you know, Sunday mornings were like boring and weird. Sunday nights were just like, were like for fucking scary. And Wednesday nights were like the worst because I don't know why, but the energy was different. Uh, fewer people so it was like more hardcore or something <laughs> and it, anyway it put me into a long dark place because the assemblies of god definitely believe in burning in hell and it's a they they definitely emphasize it this was around the time that i came to sort of view religion as a powerful control mechanism for people but when you're exposed to fear and especially sort of group fear because in the middle of a worship when everybody's like really getting into it they're doing their best to feel like the presence of god they want it so bad that you get into this weird like group mind meld where everybody's like their brain they brain at you and you like have to absorb it it's it's fucking weird and uh when you depart from that, because those high moments you you generated over and over again, everybody sort of collectively buys into it and it gets stronger and stronger. And then when you separate out of the group and go your separate ways during the week, it 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 reinforces it. Like it's really easy to to reinforce it with a story or like gossip can be used to reinforce. Like there's a lot of different ways. And my grandparents made sure that I got reinforced over and over again. I lived with them for about a year and came to Denver, came to Denver with my dad. And this was 1992. It was a really exciting year in Denver. If you go look at the papers from back then, it was a very different city. My dad is definitely an atheist and there was no more church. Like 
ever at all, which I was very appreciative. <laughs> I didn't like church. My dad took me up into the mountains in that summer, and we went up to Mount Elbert, which is the highest mountain in Colorado. So if you're smart, what you do when you're climbing to the top of a 14,000-foot peak is you just stay on the trail, right? That's what the Forest Service recommends, right? It's the nice thing to do. You don't erode and cause deforestation and shit, and it's also a lot safer. But if you're an idiot, you do what me and my dad did, and you, you just find your own way up the mountain. And it's kind of fun, and it's kind of an adventure, but if you're a 12-year-old kid who was on a farm in Minnesota, like a really flat farm, <laughs> like a few months before, like it's really dangerous. And I got into a pretty dangerous situation. And my dad was able to like get me out of it. But I definitely sort of saw my own death, saw my own mortality uh, on the side of a mountain in a dangerous situation. And it didn't affect me right away. But after that, I moved to North Carolina and I sort of went into a really weird death trip for you know i was tw about 12 or 13 and it lasted for a couple years and i was really depressed all the time and uh, i thought about death and dying all the time like constantly i used to i had this feeling that i was i was like irredeemably corrupt because i knew that i couldn't believe in jesus but i simultaneously knew that i was like a sinner and that i was gonna burn so I had these two thoughts that were both primary right in, my, in the front of my mind clashing with each other dramatically. And I used to have these crazy dreams. Like at, he said, I, just, I had a lot of nightmares back then too. And uh, I used to dream that like Jesus was staring at me with like hatred and his, you know, just loathing me. And I used to dream that I was in hell, you know, like I'd be laying there in my bed, but in my mind i was like in hell and i could still like to this day that was probably it was over 20 years ago i could still picture some of those nightmares it's pretty dark so you think it was the confluence of the religious upbringing from your grandparents and then the kind of tension of that with the yeah i had, a, that I had you were a kind of feeling i had a perfect contradiction in my mind and I couldn't, like, I didn't learn things in school. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, you know, that, that's not what my mind was occupied with. I was thinking about death and dying and suffering for eternity <laughs> for a lot. I spent a lot of brain cycles on that for a few years. Uh, eventually, I kind of, well, I came back to Colorado. Thank goodness, North Carolina was not a healthy environment for me. Came back to Colorado, and my dad had moved from downtown Denver out to the burbs, out to Inglehead. And I went to school there, uh, more or less, I, with a couple interruptions, I stayed there from eighth grade until graduation. And it was during that time that I identified as an atheist, and I thought it was pretty cool. Like, I don't believe in God, but I wish I had talked about it some back then. I might have found some other cool atheists. Like, I did find the atheists, but we never talked about it because we were too busy talking about parties or, or getting a job. I mean, it was that time of life. Uh, going to school, getting grades, going to college for some people. For all, my, all my friends took off to college, and I was like, what, what job am I going to get now? You know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and trying to like procrastinate on every single thing in my life. I believed that I was an atheist, but I still had not resolved the fear of death. For me, a fear of death manifested as thoughts, so a sort of obsession that I would be forgotten about after I died. 
and that my life wouldn't ma- wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't matter at all. And so I was still pretty susceptible to to re- religious influence. And I went after after graduation after high school. All, all my good friends took off, and I had I found a new a new set of friends, like kind of leftover friends like me. And I was making my way along, but I was getting more and more depressed, and I was feeling pretty hopeless, pretty bleak. I don't know, just kind of going down a bad path, like getting into really minor criminal behavior, just really just like shenanigans, but like illegal activity. And it was just kind of like escalating, and and I didn't like where I was heading. One thing that always brought me a lot of comfort was reading. I always I was a bookworm. Always had my nose in a book. It's kind of funny nowadays. I read like a couple books a year. (laughs) Like I don't read at all, man. I consume a lot of media, but I don't read. But back then, I used to read a lot. And I read. I went to the Inglewood Library, and I was just went through their science fiction like crazy. And L. Ron Hubbard, who happens to be the founder of Scientology, Mm -hmm. wrote some really cool fiction novels. Um, he's re- he wrote some dorky ones, but he wrote some really wicked ones as well. I'm just going to call out uh, Battlefield Earth right now, the movie, uh-huh. Total Turd Basket. The book is like pretty epic and amazing. Like mm-hmm. it's it's up there in in my minds in terms of like great science fiction works. It's fucking epic, but it's like I don't know, 1,100 pages or something. You can't do a three hour movie or a two hour movie or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not here to defend. L. Ron Hubbard or his works, but I am here to say that I was in Scientology for a long time. It uh, At a time in my life when I was really isolated, it gave me a community. It kept me out of trouble, for sure. I got into trouble in Scientology constantly because I, <laughs> because I don't, I just don't do well with rules and conformity, and Scientology, like all religions, demands that. But one thing that Scientology gave me was it let me just kind of tell my story and be me. And it also let, allowed me to be in a religion where I felt like my activities were going to matter after I died and be an atheist at the same time. That's interesting. So I, I don't know a ton about Scientology, but I didn't realize that you could be an atheist Scientologist. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I probably, I would say like a lot of Scientologists are pretty, like no, I don't know any Scientologists that prays like to God or anything. Okay, they recognize God as, as like, I don't know. I don't want to get into the theology of Scientology. That's fair. <laughs> but they do have an acknowledgement of God, but it's like passive. Like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to like burn any sacrifices or anything to God. Like he's just like, he's he's everything and all everywhere and whatever. And it's not even a he. It's just like, maybe it's like monism. It's like everything the totality of everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, it's kind of like that. Maybe I don't know, but it's its own special thing at the same time. All right. And so you entered Scientology. It sounds like it was a pretty good fit for you in terms of allowing you to be the atheist that you'd been, but also providing a sense of community. Oh man, it was a mess. Was it? I was a bad Scientologist from the beginning, but you're right about that. Like, I was like super depressed and I felt like nobody listened to me. Like I couldn't be myself with anybody. I got like, I had a few, very few like tight friends that I had maintained and otherwise I had pretty much become pretty isolated. And Scientology just gave me a lot of people who just, they knew my name. They gave me a job. I was good at it. (laughs) You know, 
it was it was a good place to be and it gave me like a lot of ceremonies and a lot of routines and it definitely occupied a lot of time which otherwise i would have been getting up to whatever mischief and so eventually something took you away from scientology yeah yeah um i i was always a bad scientologist like from like pretty much right away i was getting into trouble but i mean like i said i was good at it at the same time and if you're good at stuff you can get away with more things Mm -hmm. so i was pretty good at finding that line and just kind of like surfing it a little bit but eventually you know i came to be well i just came to believe i mean i didn't believe in it i came to acknowledge the fact within myself that i didn't believe and i no longer wanted to put in the effort to work for it because i don't know if i ever really believed in scientology i found it very interesting i read a lot of the philosophy because uh Aaron hubbard definitely did a lot of philosophizing his whole career he was writing profusely and so you can see like his progression as a person and how he creates this organization and it kind of spreads and grows like this thing across the land. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's a really neat story, but I didn't believe in the theology like one bit. I tried, I like, there was actually a period of time where I really wanted to, to like, I was in some ways I was like, kind of like a model Scientologist. Like there's a lot to it. And I learned a lot <laughs> and I got into it a lot. And eventually I just, I saw too many things that I couldn't reconcile. Like you say one thing and I get a different outcome and a lot of Scientology goes into that a lot. Like this is why you don't get the right outcome. But at a certain point I had to come to rely on what I was seeing more than what I wanted to believe. And I made that value judgment. And as soon as I did that, as soon as I embraced that, I knew that I had, I couldn't persist in that system any longer. It was actually interesting. Scientology worldwide has been in a process of accumulating a lot of property all over. And Denver played its part in that. We used to have a little bill. We, I say we, I guess I'm still kind of part of the Scientology community. Not very active, but we had a little building right behind the Safeway off of South Broadway in Inglewood. That's another reason. <laughs> Proximity. Like I went to the Inglewood Library. I found out. I looked at the back of the book. Uh, the Elrond Hubbard book, and it said, hey, there's a place right in England. So I went over to the place in England, and uh, uh, it was just this dinky little ratty old place, and now they have this sweet building. It's like a block, or it's about a half a block, including the parking lot, mm-hmm. like two blocks away from Coors Field. Like, it's a pretty sweet location. And I, it was during that process, like the buildup, because it takes a lot of work. You know how, you know, we're fundraising for the secular hub. It takes unbelievable amounts of work and money to get that thing done. And I was involved in that. And I was in a position where my job was to get people to come in to do the theological stuff of Scientology. Like, if you want to attain spiritual improvement in Scientology, you do auditing and you do study. And I was in part, I was put in charge of the part of the org that gets people to come in to study. And so in order to do that, you have to be like really persuasive. And in order to be really persuasive, you either have to really believe what you're selling or you have to be a really good liar. And neither of those conditions applied to me. And so I went to the people who are there, like the people who are in charge of putting people in jobs. And I, I was like, I was like, can we talk? I need to talk to you for a minute. And these were Sea Org members. Do you know that term at all? Sea Org. I have some familiar. Yeah, the Sea Org is like the management organization above all the churches, and all the members signed a billion year contract. Like, they're, 
they're like the players. They're, you know what I'm saying? They're like the ballers <laughs> in the group. Right. And so I, I got, I was in in the room with two of them, and I, I was like, I don't believe in Scientology anymore. I'm an atheist, but I still have this much time on my contract. And they were both like, okay, like you want to do building maintenance? And I was like, sure, I just did construction for 10 years. That'd be perfect for me. And so I finished out my time there like, painting shit and fixing you know those gas powered door closers they have in industrial buildings uh-huh. i learned how to fix those pretty good and and uh just change the light bulbs and crap like that so was it like a serious civil contract i mean it seems like you had i could i could have broken to, it if okay. i wanted to okay yeah i mean i did a whole bunch of training and services and crap mm-hmm. and whenever you do that as a staff member they they, they give you an invoice and it says staff invoice, no charge. But if you leave before your staff contract is complete, you become liable for all that stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I've never heard of the church like suing anybody to go after it. I guess it's possible. But for me, I had made that commitment to the group. And I'd said that I would fulfill my obligation. And so for me, it was really important to that I do that. Even though it was a long period of time and I wasn't really making money. I mean, they paid me. But I definitely had to work extra month, extra and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. That's just kind of how it came out. It was during that time that I started coming to the hub. And so, 2013, 24th. Like, basically, my first visit to the hub was within six months of it opening, something like that, um, five, year, five, six years ago. And so, I know transition out of a community can be a pretty challenging thing. Is that your experience? Or did you find that you were able to pretty seamlessly transition out of Scientology into a secular community? It was pretty painful. Yeah. Um, it definitely involved leaving behind friends. And uh, there was a long term, I almost, I almost used the Scientology term for it. <laughs> I had a girlfriend for eight years, and she's a pretty ser- serious believer. Um, and uh, it wasn't on a pretty breakup. Could have been, could have gone better. That was probably the worst part. It, it just kind of made everything much more sad. Uh, but I was pretty happy to not be in Scientology anymore. I was pretty happy to be single. I'm not going to lie. Just to be on my own to try and evaluate who am I really. Because I I felt like being part of that group, I had been subjected to a lot of control mechanisms to, to just to just to make me be a good member of the group. And I just buck against that like on a very basic level (laughs) when that happens to me i don't do well so just being on my own and being like oh i don't have to do anything today and like it felt like all this amazing free time and just all these possibilities like the sun was brighter like everything you know what i mean but it was pretty lonely um i don't do i don't go to bars and that kind of shit it's not my thing when i first had the chance to really go into the secular hub on a regular basis i was way across town like a 45 minute drive at least um, but I made it, you know, as often as I could, usually weekly, sometimes more. Uh, Andrew Curtis Fourlines used to live out that way too. So I'd pick him up sometimes and we'd go together. Um, then he was like the first person that I started hanging with that I met at the hub outside the hub. And okay. and now like most of my friends in the out, in the real world are from the hub. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad you're a part of the community. Glad you've uh, <laughs> glad you've joined the hub, and that we've been able to become friends. Well, thanks. Thank you too, Chelsea. It's been great. I was going to ask you, as far as when you were when you were a kid, like that middle school kid, mm-hmm. were there were there reasons that you didn't want to give up believing? 
and reasons you did? Was there a trade-off or was it positive all the way? It was pretty positive for me. I don't think I ever fully internalized a traditional God belief. I didn't really have a strong fear of hell or a strong desire toward heaven. So I think my lack of having a very developed and internalized view of any sort of God belief and sort of religious doctrine kind of made the transition easier for me. Okay. And you were pretty young, so it's not like you had to give up your girl of eight years or you it wasn't you didn't pay too much of a price i guess no i didn't pay too okay. much of a price and it was a number of years before i really told anybody about it yeah so um, well so and you were your parents didn't like force you to go do the ceremonial crap every week either. right right yeah nice yeah that's pretty cool yeah so it's not like i was giving up a church community <laughs> because i didn't really have one to give up um at least not one that i was kind of deeply engaged with ticket yeah all right chauncey so Part of chilling out at the Secular Hub is reminiscing from time to time. We've been reminiscing kind of a lot in this episode, which we don't do a ton on. I think it's kind of nice to throw it in every once in a while. Just like at the Secular Hub, most of our conversation is about what's new and what's going on. Now, you and I are both going to be volunteering at Pride this weekend. Yes. The Secular Hub, Secular Hub has had a booth there how many years now? I would guess four years. Okay. It's always fun. It's always a blast. It is. For me, participating in this kind of volunteer stuff is very important. This will last, The last two weeks, I've been volunteering for Apogea, and this week I'm volunteering for the Secular Hub, so I feel fortunate that I'm in a position where I can donate so much of my time to help these organizations that I really believe in. What is it about being part of a secular community that's important? So I think being part of a secular community has a couple of aspects that are important to me. Being part of a community in general has some aspects uh, that are important. And so let's all maybe speak to some of those first. One, it, it provides an opportunity and a way to engage with uh, and meet new people, um, new people who share potentially common values, common interests. So that's one aspect of it. It also gives me an outlet for some of my maybe creative energy or desire to to help and, and support other human beings. Um, the sort of person who gets a lot personally out of volunteering. And so this gives me an avenue to do that. I'm not a extremely social person, but I do want to have a meaningful impact in other people's lives. And so being able to volunteer for a community does that for me. The secular aspect of the community in particular is important to me for a couple of reasons. One is that there's a lot of stigma still associated with the label atheist. And I think a lot of that stigma is unwarranted. And so it's important to me to be a part of the solution to that disconnect between the reality and people's perception. Sweet. For me, the communities that I volunteer to are ones that have helped me you know, when I was looking around for searching for help. And Secular Hub has given me so much that I want to put energy into making it bigger so that it, there's a better chance for others who don't know about the Secular Hub yet to, to come into it and have a chance to find a secular community 
find a set of friends, find people who are on their side of the town that they can talk to. You know what I mean? That's a big part of it for me. I love working towards something bigger than myself. And the what I do for the hub changes kind of a lot. Like I've been doing the pod I've been doing the podcast pretty consistently. But I don't do pancake breakfasts anymore the way I used to do them pretty frequently. But pride, it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be pretty cool. So why do you express outwardly like that? Like why do you why do you take your identity as an atheist and put it out there for other people to see? Like why should it even matter? I think uh an important part of the secular identity to me is a value for rational discourse, rational, um, a rational worldview and promoting a rational worldview in environments where, for instance, over the past however many years, gay people were very stigmatized for stupid reasons. Um, in that environment, promoting rationalism is, is extremely important to me and normalizing that sort of worldview is, is important. And I think it is done in part through being open about being that sort of person, you know, kind of wearing it on your sleeve when you do that. And when people know you and when they can't, stereotype you because because they know you too well to be able to do that i think it moves the sort of consciousness of those around you toward a space that is more consistent with the reality <laughs> okay that's very well said for me i think i would express that in a different way i know i'm in a privileged position in life right now but i have found in the last year and a half or so maybe a couple couple years the more i tell people that i'm an atheist the better things get for me i have not run into stigma at all <laughs> um rather people find it interesting and ask me questions and i'm happy to share i know that's not for everybody so that's why i being in the place that i am i'm happy to go out and kind of make a spectacle of myself and say i'm an atheist and i don't have necessarily as as well thought out a reason for you i just know that i feel better when i'm with atheists i feel a lot better when i can self-identify that way and when i can help atheists like i do the thanksgiving dinner when i'm able to provide m meals for hungry atheists it makes me really happy mm. when i can do things for atheists it makes me super happy yeah well chauncey it's been deep it's been good good talking about this. I think yeah. it's important to revisit these things sometimes and reflect on how we came to be who we are and share share it. I think there are lessons in it. So I think it's important to have these discussions. Absolutely. Thank you very much. If you're in the Denver area and you want to have these kind of conversations, come on down to the hub or shoot me an email, podcast at secularhub.org. I'll be listening. Other than that, Chauncey. Or come on a hike. We're doing hikes and uh, Where are we these topics come up. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to Maxwell Falls, which is out west of town in the mountains. So that'll be a fun one. And Sweet. then maybe a week or two after that, we're going to White Ranch Park, okay. which is also nearby. Check out the meetup for the hikes because the yes. hikes are a lot of fun. Bring your sunblock. All right, Chauncey. And water. All right, Jesse. 
I'll bring it in. Give me five. Sweet. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, bam. This table's Should too wide. Should we do it louder? We got <laughs> to do this table's too wide. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. All right. There it went. <laughs> Success. I bought my mic. We'll see how it sounds. All right. All right. Thanks, Chelsea. Thanks, Jesse.